Well, this morning, uh, we are continuing through our study on the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, in this teaching uh, of Jesus, uh, in Matthews chapter 5 through 7, uh, we find Jesus reorienting our lives in a way that leads to fulfillment in God's way instead of ours. Jesus kind of takes some of the assumptions that we enter into life with, that we enter into the world with, and he begins to reorient them, to change them so that they line up more with the way that God desires for us to live. In, in this way, the Sermon on the Mount becomes something that is life-giving, yet also something that's very challenging. As we read through the Sermon on the Mount, it might challenge us to, uh, about what we think about Jesus. It might challenge us what we think about God, what we might think about the things that are important to God. I think one of the ways that uh, it oftentimes challenges us is because you know, a lot of times the way that we see and think and talk about Jesus makes it seem as though uh, Jesus and John Lennon could have switched places, right? As though uh, the only thing that we really need or the only real thing that Jesus taught was all you need is love. And then Jesus was killed because he taught people to love one another. Uh, but I think Jesus had a little bit more to say than just that. Uh, he taught us what it is that that love looked like. The Sermon on the Mount uh, challenges us in other ways as well because it challenges us to think about the ways that we use uh, the systems of the world, uh, the way that they are, uh, to, to do harm. It, Jesus challenges us to think about the ways that we try to work our ways up the ladder, the ways that we try to gain position and power and favor for ourselves. You know, a couple of weeks ago, we read the Beatitudes, uh, and the Beatitudes is just this great passage of Scripture that kind of flips all of our assumptions upside down, uh, talking about the things that we might think are blessed versus what God says is a blessing, what it means to be blessed. Uh, the rest of the Sermon on the Mount kind of challenges us that way as well. You know, Jesus, Jesus uh, doesn't really fit into any of the boxes that we want to make for him, right? We, we like to, you know, create our little box, a little space, and put Jesus in it, uh, and we say, this is, this is what Jesus is about. Uh, and instead, what Jesus does is instead of jumping in the box that we create, Jesus kind of makes his own box. He makes his own way, and he invites us to come and to follow him. And so we're going to pick up on that a little bit more this week and in the weeks to come. Uh, our scripture reading this morning comes from Matthew chapter 5, verse 17 through 20. I invite you to open up with me there, Matthew chapter 5, uh, verse 17 through 20. Uh, it's the beginning of a section uh, where Jesus uh, says a few things that are a little bit confrontational with the scribes and the Pharisees. Those were the people of his day that were kind of the religious leaders and experts. They knew all of the laws and what to do and how to follow them. And Jesus kind of says, you know what, that's nice, but here's a different way. Here's a better way. Uh, Jesus confronts them. And, and it's kind of interesting because Jesus isn't afraid of conflict. He's, he's not afraid to enter into tense or difficult discussions. Yet when Jesus is challenging the Pharisees, it's, it's not only just about challenging them. But in doing so, Jesus is, is challenging us as well. As Jesus speaks as he looks out over the crowd that's gathered for the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus looks out and he sees into the hearts of people. Jesus looks out and he sees into the hearts of you and me. And he looks out and he loves us. He has compassion on us. He says, you know what? Because I love you, here's some changes that I'd invite you to make. 
And so we're going to uh, begin uh, this series of, uh, of challenges, of changes that Jesus invites us to live into, this work within our hearts that Jesus wants to do uh, with our reading this morning from Matthew five seventeen and 20. So Jesus says, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have come not to abolish, but to fulfill. For truly, I tell you, until heaven and earth pass away, not one letter, not one stroke of a letter will pass from the law until all is accomplished. Therefore, whoever breaks one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. We say thanks be to God. So I'm going to make an assumption uh, this morning that we all like new things, right? Like we, we like new things in general. I mean, I'm not a, not a fashionista by any sense, uh, you know, I like to get new clothes. My, my kids would say I probably love to go clothes shopping, like get a pair of shoes. I could spend hours uh, just walking around uh, just to find that perfect thing. You know, there's, there's something that's fun and exciting about it. For some of us, you know, the, the fun and exciting thing is to get, you know, new furniture. You know, we, we love that sense of, oh, I've, I've redecorated my house. I've got something new. Uh, some people like a, a new car or maybe it's a, an old car that's new to you. But uh, we, we like new things. Now, being a parent of five kids, uh, my wife and I, we were constantly finding ourselves in our house filled with new things. Uh, every birthday, every holiday, our gra- uh, the kids' grandparents fill our house and my kids' room with all kinds of new toys. And it's great. Uh, and, and they have so much new things that we don't have room for it all. And so we've attempted to enact this policy in our house. Uh, where a new toy in means that an old toy goes out, right? Something new comes in, something old has to go out. I think this is probably something that's typical of the society that we live in, right? Out with the old uh, and in with the new. It's kind of our approach, the way that we do things within life. We approach most things as though something new tends to be something better. And so we discard that old thing so we can get this new and better thing. Uh, This takes place within every facet of our life, really. New technology, uh, new books, new practices, uh, even new ideas. Newness uh, in our society indicates progress, or at least we like to think that. And so we take on this new thing and we toss aside the old thing. Oftentimes, We take this same approach whenever we read the Bible, whenever we attempt to understand God. Uh, Whatever modern ideas or understandings come our way, we look at those as, oh, well, this is something new. We've, We've grown in some way. This must be something that's better. It must be superior to those ideas that come from the past. Oftentimes with little basis other than this is something that's new. We also have this tendency to do this with Jesus. Now, some suggest that since Jesus came along, the, the Old Testament, all the laws that are part of the Old Testament don't really uh, apply anymore. They've somehow been superseded by Jesus. Jesus did a new thing, and he got rid of all of that old stuff. We have a tendency to read Jesus in this way, as though Jesus himself was trampling over the Old Testament, 
as though Jesus himself was discarding what came before him. But this is a concept that would be completely foreign to Jesus. And in fact, Jesus, in his most significant teaching, uh, will not let us do this. He begins this section of scripture, verse 17. He says, do not think that I've come to abolish the law or the prophets. I've come not to abolish them, not to get rid of them, but I came to fulfill it. See, one of the most basic things that Jesus is doing in this Sermon on the Mount is he's making sure his followers understand that this isn't just something new that he's doing. He's not just starting a new thing. He's not throwing out the promises and the expectations and the hopes of all the prophets who came before. He's not throwing out the holiness of God expressed in the law of Moses. Rather, Jesus is saying that I'm what those were all about. All of these promises, all of these hopes, all these expectations that are built into the Old Testament, I'm their fulfillment. Uh, the, all these laws, all of the ways in which God is calling us to be holy and to be righteous, I'm the fulfillment of those things as well. He's saying, I'm what all of this is about. And I think to, to get a better understanding of this, we have to understand the purpose of the law. Like, why are there so many laws? Why is the Old Testament filled with so many different laws for people to follow? I mean, there's laws that talk about what you can eat and what you can wear, uh, where you can live, when you can come inside, when you can go outside, when you can be inside the city and outside the city. I mean, there's thousands of laws that are in there. Some of them were given an attempt to create a, a culturally distinct people, right? Some of these laws about the things that you could wear, some of the things that you could eat, they were put in place uh, to create a differentiation between the people of Israel and the Old Testament and the surrounding communities. God wanted a people to have a sense of identity and who they were. Many of the laws in the Old Testament, though, are moral laws, laws that God gave to instruct and to govern people's behavior. And the purpose of these laws was to produce righteousness, uh, to produce a right relationship with God and a right relationship with other people. Uh, laws were given by God so they would shape and mold people's hearts, so they would shape our actions so that they would be in line with God's purpose of creation. Laws were given so that we might live lives that are fulfilled, lives in which not only ourselves, but the whole community might experience God's grace and God's love. So one of the things that Jesus is saying when he says that I came to fulfill the law is that he's putting it on display for us to see how we were really meant to live. Jesus says, you've seen all these laws, you've read these laws, you know them. This is what it looks like to really live them. This is what a life that's experienced and, and lives out the full expression of the laws would look like. I, I love uh, an illustration that I, I read from Pastor Brian Suave. He, he's, he's talking about the laws in the Old Testament and what Jesus is doing in the New Testament. He says uh, that, he, that we should picture the Old Testament as somebody who is learning a new instrument, right? When you're learning a new instrument, you're going to learn how to play some chords. You're going to learn how to play the different notes that are on the instrument you're learning. Uh, you're going to start practicing the scales. Right? I mean, these are things that if you're a musician, you know, inside and out. I haven't picked up a saxophone in, you know, almost 20 years. Uh, but if I could play it and I could get a sound to come out, I, I could hit my C scale. I've got it. It's inside of me. I know where it is. My fingers just automatically go where it is. If you're a musician, you know the scales, you know your chords, you know the notes. 
If you're learning an instrument, though, the, the goal of learning the instrument isn't just to play the scales. Like you don't learn how to play just so that you can play a particular scale. No, the, the point is so that you can play music, right? so you can grab a guitar, so that you can sit down at a piano, so that you can grab whatever instrument you play and you can play music, music that's beautiful, music that invite others to join in and play along with you. The goal in learning it isn't just so that you can know how to do it, it's so that you can enjoy it alongside of others. In the same way, I think Jesus is saying the goal of the Old Testament isn't just to nail a bunch of commands and and get them down. It's not just to have a lot of things, a lot of rituals that we might know. The goal of the Old Testament, the law, the commands, the prophets was to teach us how to live. And Jesus is saying that I'm putting it all on display for you to see that we're going to move from just having the scales that we learn into being able to play music together. Right? When you live it all out, this is what it looks like. And Jesus puts his life on display for you and for me to see. He says, let's sing. Let's make music together. Let's live into the fullness of humanity that God has designed for us. Jesus says, no, I'm not getting rid of the law. I'm making it come alive. I'm showing you what a righteous life, what a good life looks like. Rather than just keeping the commandments, Jesus is painting a picture of the type of people we must become if we are going to live our lives in the kingdom of God. Over the next few weeks, as I mentioned, we're going to explore this a little bit more uh, because Jesus talks about this in a number of different ways. Like he has six different statements where he says, now you've heard it said, referencing a particular law in the Old Testament, but I say to you, So Jesus might say, you know, you've heard it said, thou shalt not murder. I think we could all agree, you know, that's that's probably a good thing. Uh, We could all agree, though, that that's probably a pretty low bar. Uh, We could could go out and we could live a life where we don't murder, and we could be proud of ourselves, and we could check the box and be like, look, I've done it, I've got it down. But Jesus says there's something more than just being a people who don't murder. It's becoming a people who don't want to murder somebody, Uh, becoming a kind of people who are free from anger, the kind of people who are free from hate so that it doesn't poison our hearts and our relationships with others. Jesus says, you know, you've heard it said not to commit adultery, but I say that if you look at a woman with lust in your eye, then you're guilty of the same thing. Jesus is saying, sure, you know, it's a good thing to not sleep with somebody other than your wife. I'm all for not doing that. But he takes it a step further. It's not just about following this particular law. It's about the freedom of living life away from, not confined by the lust that might be a poison to our soul, that ends up poisoning our relationship with God and with other people. See, Jesus wants more than just an outward, you know, check, I did it. His desire is that we would become the kind of people, the type of people who live life in the kingdom of God, who, who live life loving Jesus, walking with him, knowing his presence, knowing his goodness, becoming a people that truly reflect that goodness into the world around us. The other thing that Jesus is saying, as he tells us that he came to fulfill the law, is that he knows that we failed to follow it. When Jesus says, I came uh, not to abolish the law, but to fulfill it, Jesus recognizes that we 
have failed to follow the law that's been given. Even the, the scribes and the Pharisees who were experts in the law have failed to follow it. Right? The purpose of the law is to produce righteousness, right relationship with God and others. But even though we have it, we've failed to follow it perfectly. I think we can kind of see this, right? Within our country, we have laws that say, no, you shouldn't kill people. But we still do. We still see, well, I don't. Uh, hopefully nobody else here does either. But, <laughs> but, but people in our country still do. We have this law with an intended goal, but yet people don't follow it. Uh, we have laws that govern how fast we should drive down the road. And I'm not going to you know, ask anybody to incriminate themselves, but I, I imagine a lot of us don't always follow it. We have a law that's supposed to guide our practice and behavior, but we fail to follow it. Now, our failure to uphold the law doesn't mean that the law was bad. It doesn't mean that the law somehow failed to produce righteousness. Rather, we have failed to follow it unto righteousness. We, we failed to follow it in a way that produces righteousness within our lives. Jesus knows this, and this is part of why he came, to do for us what we could not do for ourselves. Jesus came to make righteous a world that could not become righteous itself. He came to make a way for us to be in right relationship with God because it was something that we couldn't do for ourselves. Jesus fulfills the demands of the law by his life because he lived a life that was perfect in obedience to the law. In Hebrews 4.15, it says that Jesus was tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he was without sin. Right, Jesus faced the same uh, kind of challenges, the same kind of temptations, the same kind of anxieties that come our way, but yet Jesus didn't sin. He upheld the law perfectly. And Jesus fulfilled the demands of the law by his death and resurrection because in his death and resurrection, he took the law's punishment for our sin. Galatians 3.13 says that Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. You see, the law had uh, some pretty simple demands attached to it. You keep the law or, or die or death comes. Jesus kept the law. So he didn't have to die. None of us have kept it. So by the law, we all deserve to die. But Jesus fulfilled the demands of the law for us so that we don't need to die. Jesus fulfills the demands of the law when he died for us, taking the law's punishment for our sin. And he demonstrated that the price had been paid when he rose from the dead. It's through faith in Jesus' life, death, and resurrection that Jesus produces righteousness within us. When we stand before God... We no longer stand before God as unrighteous lawbreakers deserving death, but instead we are clothed in the righteousness of Jesus. We are offered eternal life. Where the law didn't produce righteousness within us because we couldn't uphold it, Jesus fulfilling the law produces righteousness within us. It's only through Jesus that we have the kind of righteousness that exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees. That's good news for us. It's good news that Jesus did this on our behalf, that he clothes us in his own righteousness. But there's one last part that Jesus mentions. Jesus fulfills the law, producing righteousness with, within us, but, but he won't let us just throw the law out now. Jesus doesn't say, he's like, 
I've already fulfilled it. I've already taken care of it. All the demands of the law have been met. You don't need it anymore. Instead, Jesus says in verse 19, he says, whoever breaks one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. The salvation we have in Jesus doesn't push us to abandon the law, but rather it frees us to follow the law in a way that leads to a fulfilled life instead of an anxious life. And this move to a fulfilled life takes place as we allow Jesus to live and reign within our hearts, not by trying to check all the boxes, but by experiencing an inward transformation uh, that produces a, a different outward, uh, a different way of life on the outside. It's not about our behavior modification, you know, our following all the right practices. It's about allowing Jesus to do the work within us that leads to a heart transformation. I was, I was talking recently to someone who's overcoming drug addiction. It was something that had plagued her for many years of her life. She knew that it wasn't good. She knew that this was something that was damaging her life. It was damaging her relationships. Uh, it was damaging her ability to care for her children. She had her children taken away because of this uh, addiction that she was struggling with. She knew all the laws. She knew what she was supposed to do, but she couldn't quite shake the habit. Uh, But then she got pregnant again. And she said that when she found out she was pregnant uh, this next time, that something clicked inside of her. She couldn't quite explain what it was, but something clicked inside of her and she wanted something better for this new child that she was about to have. Something happened inside of her. There was a a new love that was born within her and it began to change her and it began to change her desires. As this new love grew within her, her desires began to change and as her desires changed, her heart began to follow. As her heart began to be transformed, her behavior Her life began to be transformed. She was able to set aside the drugs and she's been clean for quite some time now. There was no amount of laws, though, that were going to change her. You you could have any amount of laws that you wanted and she was going to continue to do the same thing. Rehab programs alone were going to stop the habit. But when her heart changed, when her heart was filled with a new kind of love, her life began to change from the inside out. This is kind of like what Jesus does for us. And when we place our faith in him, he fills our hearts with a new kind of love. The kind of love that dies on the cross in our place. Uh, The kind of love that looks out at people and says, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. The kind of love that says you are worth more than these these sins that enslave you. It's the the kind of love that when we truly let it sink down deep within us, begins to transform our desires so that we want more of God's kingdom and less of the world that is around us. The kind of love that moves us to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness that enables the things of this world to grow dim within our eyes. We become a people uh, who keep the law, not by trying to check all the boxes, but by uniting with the one who fulfills it, by abiding in him, by living in him, by meditating on his word and hiding it within his, on our hearts, by, by loving it, rejoicing in it, memorizing it, studying it, by following it in faith, trusting that as we follow him, as we allow him to shape our desires into what he desires, that he will make things right. 
as we walk with him. Let us pray. Gracious God, uh, we give you thanks for the gift of your son, Jesus. We thank you for his life, death, and resurrection, which have made your love known to us. We thank you that in his life, death, and resurrection, you fulfilled the law for us. That we have been made righteous in Christ, not because of what we've done, but because of what you've done for us. We pray, we pray that your spirit would work within us to continue to shape us and mold us uh, into a people who follow Jesus faithfully. Make us right with you and help us to live in right relationships with the people around us. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.